The rest of you, greet three or four people around you. Tell them that you're glad that they're here. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. Whew, glory to God. Somebody say, the Lord is good. And his mercy endures forever. Hallelujah. You know, we've been talking about covenant in the morning. And uh, really, as you begin to look back to that, they really won that victory. Uh, because they were declaring the Lord is good and his covenant mercy, his covenant kindness endures forever. And so they were calling on their covenant when they were declaring that, uh, that word, that mercy. So I said, it's a covenant word. And uh, really, you know, you go to that and Alan shared this morning about, you know, the blind men and we know blind Bartimaeus, um, he cried out, you know, son of David, have mercy on me. And we're like, oh, Jesus just stopped there. But Jesus couldn't help but stop because he cried out to the Son of God to have covenant mercy. He called out to Jesus, covenant, and so Jesus could not step by or walk by somebody who was acknowledging the covenant that they had with God. Praise the Lord. So we think, well, just mercy, you know, just be, have mercy on me. But we understand covenant. We're calling out for that covenant kindness, that, that love that is bestowed upon us because we know that we're one with him. And so when he said, send the praisers out and they begin to sing, the Lord is good. He's a good God. His mercy, his covenant kindness towards us endures forever. Man, they sent that covenant, that, that covenant power ahead of them. And they arrived in the enemy's camp. Some uh, God confounded them. They, they destroyed themselves. Man, isn't that great? Whatever battle you might be having, whatever attack of the enemy, you just say, man, the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. No matter what it looks like, no matter what it seems like, he's good and I have a covenant with him. And his covenant kindness goes before me. And you arrive at that situation and they're like, well, we don't know what happened, but it uh, seems like we just messed everything up ourselves. You win. Praise the Lord. That's awesome. That's awesome. Praise the Lord. And so we start getting faith concerning that. Praise the Lord. We want to welcome everybody who's joining us online. Uh, welcome. We believe God has a great, uh, great things for us. And uh, man, it's December already. Can you believe it? Praise the Lord. We're almost at the end of 2023. And uh, again, God is moving in ways that are extraordinary. Things that have happened. Uh, things that are going on all around the world. If you watch them, uh, you may go, man, this is just crazy. This is what, what's going on here. But if you look into the Bible, the Bible said these things are going to happen in the last of the last days. And he said, though those things happen, though things take place, we still are ordained of God. And we are ordained to walk in the word of God and see the victory that comes from that word of God, no matter what the circumstances are around us. And really, when we see and, and walk in that, you know, which uh, is right there above the door as we go out. Again, I just call attention to that because I think sometimes we can just think, oh, woe is me, woe is me. You know, Tasha shared about that vision, that, or vision, <laughs> dream that she had last night. And, uh, you know, 
when she told me about it, I'm like, you stood up, right? And she goes, no, no. Actually, when I woke up, I felt like I had been victimized. And uh, I said, well, you know, stand up. But, you know, we know that feeling. But God doesn't want us. We're not victims. I mean, when God looks down, he says, listen, you're not a victim of anything except for the blood of Jesus. And if you recognize that, then he will always cause you to triumph in Christ. Say, well, I tried to win something I felt like I lost. Well, thank God we're not moved by what we feel. We're moved by what we believe. And we believe God. And it may not seem like you won that circumstance, but if you stay in faith, you are defeating the enemy. This is just a precursor to the message. So, you know, something that we understand, it's been kind of a, a, a talking point, if you will. Even the church, you know, we get talking points. Sometimes we don't understand what it means, that we need a kingdom culture. You know, my personal prayer time has kind of been coming back to me, so I'm, I'm looking at it, I'm studying it a little closer because sometimes we, well, we just need a kingdom culture. We're trying to change that, so everybody's like, we need a kingdom, we need a kingdom culture. Well, then you need to read in the Bible, Jesus continued to talk about kingdom culture. He said, the kingdom of God is like this. So he said, the kingdom of God is like an unjust judge. So the kingdom of God is like, are you persistent in your prayer? Because that will run you in the kingdom of God. But Paul said this, he said, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. But it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Well, what's the kingdom? The kingdom is where the king has dominion. So we already know this. We know that sin is not supposed to have dominion over us. In other words, wherever we've disobeyed and the enemy's got a hold, that shouldn't have dominion over us because the blood of Jesus has cleansed us, right? So righteousness, understanding no matter what the attack of the enemy, the condemnation that he brings, the, the feelings of lack, guilt, shame, inadequacy, whatever that is that he brings that he always tries to do, righteousness, standing in your righteousness gives you dominion over that. Because that's the kingdom of God. That's where he has dominion. It's to make you feel like you're just a sinner. You're just never going to make it. You're just a, you know, everything that's happened to you, everything that you've done, everything that's happening and cause us to just kind of go and have, well, I hope I just get out of this world somehow, some way. No. You've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. And so he said, that should bring peace to your heart. Because if you're righteous, then you have peace with God. And if you have peace with God, you should walk in the peace of God. So when he brings anxiety, stress, nervousness, I'm just piled up. He said, peace will overtake that and have dominion. And he said, enjoy in the Holy Ghost. Man, the enemy will try to depress you, make you sad. Why? Because hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a merry heart does good like a medicine. The joy of the Lord is our strength. If he can steal your joy, he can steal your strength. But if he can't steal your joy from the inside, because I know he's made me his righteousness. He's forgiven, washed me, cleansed me of all of my sin. He's made me a child of God. His very life, his very nature is on the inside of me. So I'm at peace with where I am with God. Not phony, not fake, not put you off like I'm at peace with where I'm at. And you're really not. I just don't want to talk about it, so I'll tell you, I'm at peace with where I'm at. I'm in a mess of sin, but I'm at peace with where I'm at. No, you're not. Not if you're a mess. But when you know you're made the righteousness of God, then you're at peace with God. The devil hates that when you're at peace, that peace that passes all understanding. 
He hates it. He's just bombarding you, and you're like, it's okay. Yeah, but what about, it's okay. Yeah, but shouldn't you? No, I'm good. I'm following God. Yeah, but all the other people, who cares? Yeah, but we're going to turn up the heat seven times hotter. Have at it. Man, it drives him crazy. Because Nebuchadnezzar was like a type of the devil. And when they wouldn't bow and worship him and fall prey to everything he said, he said, well, you're going in the fiery furnace. They said, well, that's okay. Those three guys had the peace of God. They said, well, it's okay. He said, just know this, O king. You throw us in that fiery furnace, God will deliver us. But one qualification, not doubt. But if for some reason we're not delivered, you will have to live the rest of your life knowing three young men did not bow to that stupid idol you made of yourself. But in fact, that determination, that peace, man, that drove Nebuchadnezzar. Whoa, turn it up seven times hotter, which is what we do. The devil's like, really crank it up. It's like, if I'm dying, seven times hotter ain't going to make that big a difference. Right? If they were getting thrown in the fiery furnace, they were going to die in there anyway. What does seven times hotter do? It's just how the enemy works. Intimidation. Oh, you're not afraid of my fire? What about a seven times hotter fire? Either the fire is going to kill me where it is, seven times hotter ain't going to make a difference. You have peace with God and say, listen, I'm going with God, and wherever I go, you can say seven times hotter. But I have a covenant with God, and wherever I am, he will be there. How do you know? Because he said he will never, ever, ever leave me. And he will never, ever, ever forsake me. So you don't want to go into any, any fire without the knowledge he's with you wherever you go. But when you know he's with you, you're like, all right, I have peace. People are like, how are you having peace? Because I have the peace of God that passes all understanding. And that gives me dominion over worry, over stress, over anxiety. Why? Because worry, stress, and anxiety are weapons of the enemy. So see, the kingdoms not all show the kingdoms in your heart, where you have dominion over those things that the enemy brings. Depression, sadness, sorrow. The joy of the Lord gives you dominion. Where there's anxiety and stress and stuff that goes on. Peace of God gives you dominion over that. Where there's inadequacies, so I act out of my inadequacies trying to cover them and make up for them and put other people down to lift me up. Now, righteousness gives me dominion over all of that. So the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking and all the rules. The kingdom of God, where we really end up dominating over the strategies of the enemy, is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Praise the Lord. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Come on. If you remember that during the week when everything starts to stress you out. And you go, yeah, no. Yeah, but what if? Yep. I'm walking with God on this one. The enemy will press, but all of a sudden you'll go, I just feel like even right here in the midst of this circumstance, there's another person right here with me and in me. And it's the spirit of the living God. It's the son of God right here by his spirit. Not just with me, but in me. 
So I'm fireproof. Right? Didn't he make them fireproof? Praise the Lord. Turned everything around. When the king saw them not burning, he stopped. They walked out. Revival broke forth. He said, well, that does it. I guess we're going to serve the God of Abraham or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Amen. Praise the Lord. That's all for free. If you, weren't, uh, if you were here this morning, you weren't prepared with your local church size and offerings, uh, we want to give you an opportunity to give. If you're making out a check, make it out of New Creation Church. You're giving by cash or debit or credit card. Raise your hand. The ushers will give you an envelope. If you're watching online, you can go to the website, uh, the give button, um, and participate in your giving there. We're always thankful for your giving, your generosity in just different areas. Uh, again, many of you gave to our missions team that went to Nepal. They had great effects there. People were born again. They ministered uh, to the ladies in Nepal, uh, different aspects, evangelism. Uh, that uh, just today, uh, last week, two people got born again in the jail. A man gave his life to the Lord in the jail today. And so uh, re- regularly on a, a Sunday morning, praise the Lord. In heaven, they're rejoicing. And here we're golf clapping. Praise the Lord. Somebody got saved. He said, when one sinner is saved, all of heaven rejoices. And here on earth, we're like, all right, somebody got saved. Uh, So it'd be better if we cooperated with heaven. All right, somebody got saved in the jail today. (laughs) Hallelujah. All right, we're in for it. I had a pretty good nap today. So, um, (laughs) glory to God. We appreciate your giving. It's having an effect. People are getting saved and learning about healing and deliverance and Certainly, we, we've run through some things that didn't turn out how we thought, but as uh, Pastor Tasha was saying this morning, God's always faithful. And uh, we might know not know in this moment some things, but uh, there'll be a day when it's all revealed, and we'll see the faithfulness of God. Yes. Amen? Praise the Lord. And so we just want to see uh, more victory, yes. right? Because it's all over me. Amen. We got victory. You know, we sing that, we sing that, and then we walk out, and we're like, Man, I got victory. It's all over me. I got victory. Right? <laughs> Praise the Lord. So we'll get it all over us. And maybe it'll get all over everybody else. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I'm not trying to get something going. I'm just trying to find my way. Um, <laughs> thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you for every opportunity that we have to give. In Jesus' name, we're so grateful. We're so grateful for all that you've done imparted into our life your graciousness, your generosity by giving us all that you have and all that you are. So as we get to come and bring our offerings to you, knowing that everything that we have in our life is yours. So we enter into a a covenant acknowledgement that even our finances belong to you. We acknowledge that in our tithes and our offerings. God, that you might be acknowledged. And in that, the windows of heaven are opened over each and every one. Blessings that they cannot contain. Covenant blessings poured out more than they have room enough to contain. Father, we declare that over each one, that you supply every need according to your riches and glory by Jesus Christ. That as they give, it's given back to them. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. And running over will men give into their bosom. We declare the word of God over each one of them concerning their giving and concerning their life. That all grace abounds towards them. So that they have all sufficiency in everything and are able to give to every charitable donation. That you give more seed to sow and bread for food. You increase the fruit, the produce of their righteousness. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and pass those buckets. Open your Bibles to Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Ephesians, the fourth chapter. We're going to start in the seventh verse. Praise the Lord. We are a ready, set revival. I believe that revival is uh, upon us, and um, we're going to see it get stronger and stronger, an awakening, an awakening of the church. A couple weeks ago, we read a prophecy by Tommy Hicks that was back, I think, in the early 60s about the church rising up, the body of Christ rising up in, in, in such a powerful way and spreading out, and each one doing their part. And so our vision at New Creation Church is that every member in their place to see the glory of God and to possess our land. Our purpose is to love, to lift, and to reach people. And so as we get in our place to function as the body, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, then we begin to see something of the glory of God, right? If the body is divided, if the body is not working in sync with each other, it's tough to see. But when you take people from every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation, when you take people of different walks of life, different upbringings, some raised in one way, some raised in another way, different cultural differences even here within the United States, and you bring them together, their personalities and their giftings, there's no way it should work together in any kind of unity. But when we find our place and we begin to function together in that, we begin to grow and mature as a body, as Christ's body. And in that, the glory or the splendor, the brightness, the color of God, if you will, begins to be revealed. How God can fit the most unlikely together and empower it to do something that you never thought could be done. That's why sometimes God puts you next to somebody or calls you into an area that you're like, yeah, I don't even really like that person. He said, because you don't like them, but I'm going to show you how you fit with them. And in that, I'm going to mature you and make you understand what you thought wouldn't work. Give place to God and it will work. Even with personalities. <laughs> that got you thinking. Even with personalities, you think, I could never work with that person. Well, if you yield to the grace of God, I bet you could. And wow, if I could work with that person, and if God could change them to work with me, he could do anything. <laughs> you know, that's how we would think. That's not really true. He's growing both of us. But we think, all right, well, I'll do it. God, you, if you could change them, I, I guess you're pretty extraordinary. <laughs> but he's working to grow us all. And to see the splendor of that. And people are watching, possess our land. People are watching how this works. And really to understand how it works, you know, we say, well, we're, we're here. But he says, you know, the extraordinary part of the knowledge, our own personal knowledge, that we've passed from death to life. Well, I know I passed from death to life. You know, 27 years ago, I prayed a prayer and, and accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. So I'm going to heaven. Okay. But does that mean you pass from death to life? Not necessarily. Wait a minute, I'm going to heaven, right? Yeah, but he makes an emphatic statement. John makes an statement. He says, we know that we've passed from death to life. Not because we prayed a prayer. The prayer is essential. The acknowledgement of Jesus Christ as your Lord is essential. 
believing that God raised him from the dead is essential. He said, when you do that, you're saved, but your salvation should result in something, right? Not just, okay, I did that, nothing's changed, but I'm going to heaven. No, he said, all of a sudden, something should happen. Why? Because Jesus came into me to be Lord. He washed away my sin. He gave me a newness of life, and the very essence of that life, the very character, root character of that life is love. He says, we know that we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren. So when you look across the room at a brethren, and you're like, huh, you might want to know if you pass from death to life. But when you look at the brethren and say, wow, my brain says I shouldn't like them, but my heart says I love them. What happened to me? Come on, I was just talking to somebody the other day. I, I was having coffee with them. And, uh, you know, I've just been meeting with them. They, they're new, and they're like, uh, i got to ask you, what is happening to me? I said, man, you are thrilling me as a pastor. Because they're not like, what should I do? They're like, I was coming, and uh, I didn't know if I would be accepted. I didn't know if the things that I had done, but I've been coming, and I've been listening. The people have been great. But now I realize something. I don't want to do the things that I used to do. What is happening to me? I said, well, you accepted Jesus. That's what's happening to you. And he's changing you from the inside out. So it's okay. Just relax. <laughs> Something changed. So that's, that's pretty easy for me because my, you know, I went to church all my life. But when, when I realized I wasn't born again, you know, after going to church all my life, 15 years old, realizing I got to get born again. I haven't been born again. I've been churched, but I haven't been born again. So I just said, well, I need to accept Jesus. So I prayed and accepted Jesus. Something happened to me. And they said, you're going to heaven. But really, you know, as a 15-year-old going to church all my life, I was pretty sure I was going to heaven. Something different happened to me. And it took almost two years for somebody to say, this is what happened to you. Your sin was washed away. You became like Jesus, and he wants you to do the things that he did. I went, that's what happened to me. I'm not looking to go to heaven. I'm looking to live a God life here. And so the journey started. The journey started not to just go to heaven, but to be more like him. To be able to lay hands on the sick and the sick recover. To cast out demons, right? Drink any deadly thing, it'll not hurt you. To live above all the circumstances of the enemy. Praise the Lord. So if we're going to see revival, the church has to come together. We have to function. All right. So Ephesians chapter 4. He says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts unto men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean, but that he first also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. 
And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Somebody say the work of ministry. The work of ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and knit together by what every joint, uh, knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Somebody say, every part does its share. I'll do my share. One person. <laughs> say, I'll do my share. <laughs> it causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So just to go back, because sometimes, you know, we see revival, and, and if you know me, you know what I'm trying to do is not just get everybody in here so I can be the star. I want you to go out there and win people to Jesus. So somewhere I'm going to have to do something as a pastor to teach you all how to pray the prayer of salvation with somebody. Right? So if you don't know, we might have you sign up for a class. <laughs> it's really not that hard, but some people just don't know. But there's no greater thrill that you'll ever have as a Christian. Then somebody you know, somebody in your family, somebody you work with, somebody you run into, that God brings you across their path, and they're having trouble, and they don't know God, and they're in darkness, and you just share the simple gospel of what Jesus did. He's not holding your sin against you. He sent Jesus so you wouldn't have to go to hell. God's not looking to send you to hell. He sent Jesus to rescue you from hell. Can you believe that? Will you receive that? Yes. Let me pray for you. And you pray for somebody. They close their eyes. They open their eyes. And you know, man, Jesus just came to live on the inside of them. Wow. Come on. Out there. You out there serving and ministering. But it all connects with the body of Christ. So when we start talking about this, we start to understand revival. The church, that, that prophecy from Tommy Hicks said what? Said the, he saw the body laying there. And it would shake up a little bit. It would think about things. It would rise up. But then, and all these things would, these, these uh, what do you call them, uh, things, anyway, would scatter. But then the body would lay back down, and it, it would all come on the body again. To do what? To hold pieces of the body. But it was the whole body that rose up first. The whole body coming together to rise up first. And then when the body came up and rose up, then all of a sudden, it spread out to everywhere. So if we, don't do, if we spread out everywhere first, the body can't rise up. But when the body rises up strong, the body's edified, the body's built up, the body's strong, we're strong enough to send out. Which then causes a drawing in and a building up and a sending out. Progressively growing and strengthening the body as each part does its share. So it says that these gifts were given to the body, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, right? So these are what we call five-fold ministry gifts to prepare the body for the work of ministry. Now, he's writing this to the church at Ephesus. And so the pastor of the church at Ephesus was Timothy. And so it might help us a little bit to look at how we equip 
the saints for work of ministry by looking at what Paul told Timothy. Amen? Timothy was his beloved son. We look at these uh, epistles, what we call the pastoral epistles, Titus and Timothy, and, and we look at those and see that Paul trained them to pastor these churches as they followed or went along with him. And so we're going to go through um, uh, a couple of those things. And so as we look at this equipping for, for the ministry, we begin to understand uh, a little bit more about stewardship, stewardship in the body. And so stewardship is, is really... Uh, something, one that governs a household, or it speaks of the responsibility and proper use and disposition of something entrusted to one's care. Something entrusted to one's care. So as we talk about the graces of God, Paul says we should be a steward of the grace of God in our life. In other words, we should know the grace in our life and what the grace will do for us, we guard that, and then what is entrusted to to us. So as when we serve in the body, you know, if you don't ever serve within the body, you can't have a lot trusted, entrusted to you. But when you serve in the body, something is entrusted to you. And when something is entrusted to you in a proper way, then you begin to see, now how am I going to do this? And you, in order to do it, you have to rely upon the grace of God. If you start to do it in your own strength, things get wonky. You start to get wore out. You start to get tired. People get edgy. They get in strife. Things break down. And so he says, listen, I'm going to give you something to do and entrust you with something that albeit it's not where you will go in, in relation to where God wants to take you. It's small, but if you don't first understand what you've been entrusted with and how you handle it, he'll never be able to give you what is greater. So this idea that in this development of who we are, we first must be found faithful. We started this a couple of weeks ago. So really in, in 1 Corinthians, just go there first, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Oops, that won't work. Verse 1, it says, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ. So what a deacon is, uh, uh, somebody who serves in a church, is just a servant. When we talk about ministry, for the work of ministry, deacon, the word deacon, diakonos, means servant, or minister means servant. All right? So he's talking about the same thing as minister. So he said, let a man uh, so consider us as servants of Christ. Christ and stewards of the mystery, mysteries of God. Well, so we know the great mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we are stewards. We are one, those who have been entrusted this mystery that Jesus wants to come into your life and he wants to change you. He wants to come and live in you. He doesn't want to just forgive you and have you struggle with your life. He doesn't want to just get you to heaven. He wants to come and live on the inside of you. Right, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he said, we've been given this mystery of the gospel that was hidden from the ages, and now that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news is that, right, you no longer have to be separate from God, but God's not just going to be with you, he's going to live in you. And he's going to purify you by his own blood, and he's going to cause you to be washed and cleansed, that you will be a vessel, pure, ready for him to live in. 
And then he says, as you understand that and you know that, Paul told Timothy that in every house there's vessels of gold and silver and wood and clay. He said, some for honor and some for dishonor. So he said, in the house, you want people to say, cleanse themselves from the latter. They don't want to be a vessel of dishonor. They don't want to be a vessel of clay or wood, which is a trash can or something in that day. He said, but you want to be a vessel of gold, meat for the master's use. So he said, what do you do? You understand that he purified me, but in your mind and in your thinking, purify yourself. And instead of pursuing earthly things, pursue faith, pursue love, pursue righteousness, pursue those things that are really of God. Why? Because if I set aside the other and pursue those things, I'll realize, wow, that bears witness and that's who I am with Christ on the inside of me. And so now I'm a vessel ready to be used by the master, which is an honor. It's not the way that somebody would use you and abuse you. So to use that phrase, some people say, well, I don't like being used. Well, man, if you can be used of God with God, if you can be a vessel of God ready to do his work, that's an honor and a privilege, right? So we begin to see that, and, and, and Paul talks to Timothy, and so he says this, we're stewards of the mystery. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. One be found faithful, right? So some people would say loyal, some would say diligent, but really we could put that together and say it's, it's required that one be found full of faith, full of believing. Because when you believe those things about God, not just believe in God, but you believe everything about what Jesus did for you, and you know that God has positioned you or placed you in his body, and you believe that, aren't you glad that your right hand is faithful? <laughs> it's your right hand, is called, and it doesn't jump off and join somebody else's right hand. Right? It's there. It's there for you. When you need it. So he's saying, listen, we got to understand some things about faithfulness and what God's doing in our life. And Paul uses that description of the body in many places. Turn over to 1 Timothy. Chapter 1. Paul said this. He said, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me or empowered me because he's counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. He said, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. So we look at Paul, you know, if you look at his life, first of all, you know, he had that encounter with Jesus. But then after that encounter with Jesus, he did many other things and served in many other places, went and, and, and taught in schools, did different things, many things. And he said, man, I thank God who has empowered me. Well, why did he empower him in the way that he did? Because he found him faithful. He found him trustworthy. Well, how did he find him trustworthy? Well, he gave Paul a little, and Paul was faithful with what he had been given. He was a steward. God put something in his hand, and he did what God told him to do, and then God increased his influence. Many times we want a realm of influence greater than we've been faithful to handle. 
So thus, God is preparing us for what he's prepared for us. So when we arrive at that place, we occupy it. It doesn't occupy us. Many people say, just let me do what I want, my gift. And then they get somewhere, and all of a sudden, they're overwhelmed by it. And they have to call on help anyway, which isn't a bad thing. But the help could have been there to lead you into that. Instead of you finding out, I can't do this, I need help, help could have gone with you. Why? Because you proved yourself faithful, and he's moving you. All right, Matthew chapter 25. Now, this is Jesus. Matthew chapter 25. Verse 14. He said, for the kingdom of heaven is like. Hmm. This is what the kingdom of God was. It's like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, uh, each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on his journey. Then he who received the five talents went and traded with them, made another five talents. Likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. See, sometimes people, uh, you know, even in, in day-to-day life, work, or even in the church, they don't like to give an account. They don't want to evaluate how they're doing. You know, we do that with our teams here. Sometimes people like it, sometimes people don't. But understand this, that every single person will stand before Jesus and give an account. Every single person will stand before. I don't like giving an account. Well, he says it'll be good right now if we understand what we were given And we should give an account for what we did with what we've been given. And if we give a great account for that, we make the changes, we judge that properly. When we stand before him and give an account, we won't go like, oh, I didn't know. Oh, it was so hard. We'll say, man, I knew exactly where I was, and here's what I'm bringing to you at the accounting. All right, so they gave an account. So he who had received five talents came. And brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents beside. His Lord said to him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came, said, to him, said Lord, you delivered me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid, went and hid your talent into the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reaped where I have not sown, and I have gathered where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. He says, so take the talent from him and give it to one who has ten talents. To everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from then he goes on and says, this is unprofitability. 
And so we look at that, we read through that, and we just kind of throw that aside. But God wants us to learn something about everyday life, about our service in the kingdom. For the kingdom of God is like this. And so each one, according to their own ability, God wants you to find your place. If you don't know what your gift is, he wants you to find a place. Why? Because he wants to show you that whatever has been put in your hands by his grace and the ability that he has within you, that you can multiply it. You can grow it. You can evaluate it. Whatever that area is, you can do it. But what you find is there are some people who are like, give me the opportunity. Or there's people who stay and watch. There's things that they watch, and they're able to see that. And so, you know, this story we look at and say, yeah, but I still haven't figured out that guy. He said that his, his, ser- his master was a hard servant, and he reaped where he had not sown, and he scattered, he gathered seed where he had not scattered it, all those things. And the, the, the uh, uh, master seemed to confirm that. But at the same time, you know, we'll put it, you know, in different terms. These, these, the one who had five, he didn't say anything about the wicked master. So he must have observed and known something about the master that the one that was given one talent wasn't watching. Right. So we had some people who said, all right, pastor, what can I do? Other people are like, oh, God, if we don't do it right, we're in trouble. Oh, my God, we're in trouble with the pastor. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes I didn't even know I was that mean of a person. Um, but these people knew and they had learned, and they said, here's what you gave me. I watched how you did it, and I reproduced it. And he said, you are really good. You believed in the process that I showed you, and you were faithful to it and it reproduced. Now you'll be able to be a partner. But to the one who had won, he said, listen, this is my view of you. And let me just put it in this way. You can go back and say, I don't believe that, and that's great. But he basically said, this is an excuse, and you don't believe your own excuse. So sometimes you may have heard this somewhere in your life, somebody who's, who, who really didn't do anything, and then they said, I didn't want to let you down. While all the while, by not doing it, they were letting you down. And then gave an excuse. So he basically said, you don't even believe your own excuse because if you did believe it, you would have done something with what you had. So you didn't even believe your own excuse. Really, the fact of the matter is, I gave you one, and you didn't want to take the risk of multiplying it. You didn't tap in. You looked at your own ability, not the ability that I had given you. You weren't paying attention to how things were done. So when you got it, you got fearful and didn't know and then made an excuse. So I said, part of it is engaging, watching, giving attention to the Word of God, giving attention to the people who are working together beside you, beginning to see and to know what's been put in our hands and how we can be faithful with it to multiply it, to reach out, to grow, to build the body, to supply to the body so that growth takes place. Right? We're talking about ministry. He said you must first be found faithful. Why? Because faithfulness to the call of God, faithfulness to serve in the kingdom of God opens a gift of grace, and grace will always move to multiply. 
Grace will always move to grow. Right? And it will move you beyond, on purpose. Somebody say on purpose. On purpose, grace will move you beyond your ability. It will move you beyond your ability. Why? Because once you get beyond your ability, you must rely upon the grace. So when we say, I can't do that, God says, I know you can't. We got you right where we want you. <laughs> You're going to have to open up the grace. Well, I don't have time to do that. He says, I know. You're going to have to rely upon the grace because the grace can do things and do it more efficiently and offer more time than you could by struggling trying to figure it out on your own. Luke, the 16th chapter. Luke, the 16th chapter, the 11th verse. He's talking once again about Jesus is speaking here, about a steward. You can go back and read it and, and see this. But we're going to jump in in verse 10. Jesus is talking. Somebody say, Jesus is talking here. I'm just reading what Jesus said. So Pastor Mark's not talking here. Jesus is talking. He said, he who is faithful in what is least is, also faith, is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will unfaithful, if you have been faithful in unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust true riches? So he's just using an example. He said, listen, uh, you think that money is a big deal, right? Don't all of us think that money's a big deal? Some people are afraid, like, is this a trick question? I mean, really, you, it's a mode of exchange. If you don't have any money, then you're going to have trouble moving through life, right? So money's a big deal. We think it's a big deal. But he says, listen, if you can't even understand how to manage money, how would God give you actually something to do with people and the souls of men? Because that's true riches. And we're spending all of our time going, man, uh, money, money, money. And people are around us, and we're not even paying attention. Like, man, that person who works with me, their eternity is true riches. But I'm here not even paying attention to that, just trying to get the next thing. He said, but if you understood the difference... You'd take care of this business, and I'd be able to give you influence in this area. True riches. He said, and if you have been not faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? So sometimes we're looking like, just give me my own stuff. But he says, listen, if you have your own, you'll lose it. I put you with somebody to learn to take care of something under the cover of that so that you could grow in that gift, develop that gift, and be productive in that step when you step into that which I have called you to. So it's a process. No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one, love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. And then, of course, he says you can't serve God and mammon. So it would appear that he's talking about money here, but he's also talking about really the understanding of faithfulness uh, to that. So if we're going to serve in ministry, if we're going to be ministers or serving other people, we're going to minister the life of God to other people, then the first thing that we have to look at is we have to be found faithful. Found faithful. Right? 
Can't step into that higher place unless you're first found faithful. Next, he says that really you have to hold the message of faith with a pure conscience. The message of faith with a pure conscience. Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 8, he says, likewise, deacons or servants or ministers that serve in a church, stewards, I mean, we could go through all that and say, you know what, if you're serving in the local church, if you come to the local church, you know, we think of deacons at a, a high office, you know, they're, 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 they're officers in the church that tell everybody else what to do or make that decision, they're the deacon board. But really, uh, deacons, and if you look at what Paul told Timothy, there's different levels of service, and deacons is down there where you just begin. You begin in service, then you can become an elder, then you can become a bishop or an overseer. So he says, you start serving in the body, you start your area of ministry in serving. So uh, it must be found. So, you know, I'll talk about this. And again, I'm just trying to help us. You know, if anybody walks out and says, man, he's just really trying to, no, I'm trying to help us understand because there's tremendous blessing. And when revival takes place, you'll have a place your gift will be developed to help other people develop their gift. But if we're not participating, all of a sudden things to happen and we have to make up ground. But he says, likewise, a deacon. And he, he lists out these things. You can read it. And again, Paul told Timothy, he told him these things. You can read on just a little bit here. He said, I'm writing these things to you so that you will know how to conduct yourself in the house of God, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's telling him as a pastor, this is how things ought to be done in the house of God. So he says, a deacon, which is somebody who's serving, helping in ministry. And then he gives requirements. Here's the American mindset. I'm a volunteer, and you shouldn't put any requirements on me because you should just be lucky I'm volunteering. Now, you know, I understand that from a leader's standpoint. We are blessed that you volunteer. We're, we're pretty lucky to have volunteers, and we're lucky here to have lots of them. And I feel that way as a pastor. We're, we're blessed to have you. But Jesus in heaven isn't going, I'm so lucky that you're taking an hour of your week to serve my body. Jesus isn't going, I'm so lucky to have you as a volunteer. No, he's saying, listen, I put a gift in you, and I have an expectation that you would serve me and serve the body to open up that gift so that we can do something with it. Right? So that's why he said there's some requirements, because in those requirements, you take seriously, not like, hey, I'm just giving you what's left over. No, I'm taking seriously, and I'm giving my time to begin to work together, to build, to edify, to grow his body so that his body can rise up and disperse and affect the lost and a dying world. So I take seriously what's going on. I put it in a priority place in my life, not last place, with what I have left. But I give my service, my gift, and my time seriously to God. So there are some requirements. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Boy, we're not coming back here. <laughs> but I'm telling you that because God dealt with me seriously as a pastor. That if we're not preparing you and giving you this to understand that you're called to a work of ministry, you'll never rise to that place. You'll never find that gift. You'll just come to church, live and die, having attended. Rather than serving, developing, 
exposing the, the, the real grace and rising to a level where you're really influencing people for eternity. You're not just looking to be influenced. Oh, I feel good about eternity. But I'm living and, and equipping and influencing people with godliness for all of eternity. Wow, there's no greater joy. Come on, I'll tell you there's no greater joy. If you've been here for a long time, then you know this. But, you know, when we start, when I came here out, out of Bible school and, and, you know, one of the first ministry uh, things, you know, Pastor Craig called and he said, you know, the, the youth recovery center at the hospital, they called and uh, 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 they need somebody to come over there and minister, uh, do chapel. And so I said, I'll go. So <clears throat> we went over there and myself and Steve Ivey, we started going over to the chapel there and we thought we were going to get one, one uh, you know, 15 minute shot a week or, or a month. And after a couple of weeks, they called and said, can you come? We had slated other pastors to come, but they didn't show up. So I said, I'll come. We'll come every week. And so I, I, I'll never forget, you know, the first week there, this young gal, just sweet gal. You know, I just came in. You, none of you will believe this. I have 15 minutes. <clears throat> and I say within that 15 minutes, it was just supposed to be evangelistic. So I started every time. There was a new group of kids every single time. I said, you know what, I got 15 minutes here. I'm just going to share with you what changed my life. If you believe it, it'll change your life. If you don't, we don't have time to argue about something you don't believe. You know, because people like to argue. Well, if God, if God, if you're asking a legit question, but if you say you don't believe in God, don't argue about me about a God you don't believe. So I just kind of set the parameters and then shared the love of Jesus with her. So the very first night, this gal, her name was April. And she just broke down crying. She gave her life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, you could just tell, man, her heart was stirred. We, we, we had, you know, at that time the church was in debt, but we had a fund that, that uh, people gave to the Bibles to give out at Youth Recovery Center. It had the most money in the church of any account in the church. So we'd just buy them a really nice Bible. We'd put their name on it. Man, she held that Bible. When she checked out of that place, she went. She said, I'm not ready to go back into my culture yet. Man, she was holding her Bible. But anyway, the day she got born again, I came home, and I didn't sleep all night long. All night long, I'm like, my God, you delivered her. She is not going to hell. She just became your daughter tonight. I had such an honor and such a privilege of this teenager who had been led astray, led into drugs, and was bound, now had trouble with the law, had no hope. You counted me faithful to come tell her about you. And she heard it and put her faith in you. And she'll live forever with you. Wow. I couldn't sleep at night. I kept tossing and turning. I couldn't wait to get back next week to see April and see how God was, what God was doing in her life. And then that week, guess what? A guy got born again. So I went home and couldn't sleep again. Come on. That'll light your fire. Not just coming and attending, but saying, man, you've given me influence. You've put these people around me who don't know you, and I have that very life. But I don't know what to do with it. That's why we start serving with one another. We don't want to get religious and just stay here, but see that we have a gift in our life, and we can take it out wherever we are. I began to realize in Bible school and stuff, there's a gift in my life. And so when I work with, worked in construction, I started to share with different people that God brought across my path. And I knew, you're here for them. And we'd share with them, and they would give their life to Jesus. And, and even on the construction site, we'd have at lunch a Bible study to help them grow along. It's not just in here. It's to equip you. But part of that service and knowing what to do is I help serve in the church. 
So here he says, deacons must be reverent. There's a, a, a qualification. Praise the Lord. Likewise, deacons uh, must be reverent, not double-tongued. Not saying this one moment and that, that the next. Not given to much wine, not greedy for money. Holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested. He said, just serving, he said, there's going to be a test to it. Hold the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. I want to read this out of the Passion Translation. It says, instead, they must faithfully embrace the mysteries of faith while keeping a clean conscience. And each one of them must be found trustworthy according to these standards before they are given the responsibility to minister as servant leaders without blame. Wow. The Message Bible says it like this. They must be reverent before the mystery of the faith, not using their position to try to run things. Let them prove themselves first. If they show they can do it, take them on. So it says what? says that you hold this mystery, you're reverent before the mystery. You understand that the mystery of the faith is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You're not utilizing it to control or to propagate. You are holding that close, and you're serving with the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. Not looking to promote yourself, but to bless people. So the first thing is to know the mystery, Christ in me, the hope of glory. And the power that I have to serve others with that great mystery. I hold it not to promote myself, not to control others or to control the situation, but I use it to minister the grace of God to others. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's good stuff. Kenneth Weiss says it goes beyond the intellect. Your conscience is really what holds the moral fortitude that the gospel demands. And with a pure conscience, we hold what is morally right in the eyes of God. Because intellectually making decisions to serve can open up areas of strife and trouble. When your conscience, pure and morally right, not intellectually deciding, but that which is from the Spirit of God, will cause you to make the right decisions which will hold to peace. Praise the Lord. So sometimes we, we try to figure it all out with our brain. He said you have to hold with a pure conscience what is morally right in serving. Praise the Lord. Number three, we steward the grace of God. And we'll talk about that next week. Because we have time. Amen. Why don't you stand up? Thank you, Lord. God, we thank you for revival. We thank you for revival. We thank you for the things that you have spoken over us. Many individuals, you've spoken to them. Paul told Timothy, stir up the gift that is within you through the laying on of my hands and the prophecy that went before you. To stir it up, to utilize it wherever you are right now. I thank you, Lord, that you're working in us to will and to do of your good pleasure. As we stir that up, we begin to work out the fullness of our salvation and the grace is upon our life. Help us to see that it's an honor to be counted trustworthy, called into a place of serving your body. 
Help us to realize that as we do that and the body grows, that there's a place of great revival coming where not only we're dispersed out to win those, but we're prepared to take in the lost coming in, the harvest that is coming in. We're prepared because we are positioned and ready in our place to serve them, to, to grow them, to equip them for the work that they'll step into in serving others and ministering to those outside. So help us, Holy Spirit, teach us. Help us to process, bring wisdom and spiritual understanding concerning the components of your body and the service in your body, the equipping that takes place for the work of ministry, that we might prepare ourselves for the fullness of the revival that has begun, that we would see the church as you see it for the end times, a glorious church without spot or blemish or any such thing, that we would see our place in the body of Christ, in the local church is vital, vital, to opening up our gift, our gift to serving one another, not our own purposes, not serving just simply our ministry, but your ministry to the body. So help us, equip us, give us wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you and the call that's upon our life. God, we thank you for revival. We thank you for that which is not only upon us, but the greater things that are coming to overtake us in our generation. We give you glory and we give you honor and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Say as we go, what God did in Christ Jesus, far exceeds any damage done to me by Adam's fall. If you need prayer for anything, there'll be altar workers up here to stand with you and pray with you concerning anything you have need of.